To do four weeks on the book of Romans is particularly hard because the book of Romans is one of the most influential books in the whole of the New Testament, in the whole of the Bible. And when we're reading the Bible, when we're reading the book of Romans, which I hope you're actually doing at this point, I'm, I, it's our prayer that you are not just following along on a Sunday, but during the week, you'd pick up your Bible, you'd start reading the book of Romans because it is in this book that so many of the great fathers in the faith really found answers, really found, turned the lights on for them. It was Martin Luther as he read through there, as he struggled through his situation and circumstance where he could not believe that a loving God would forgive him of all his sin, that he finally all of a sudden had the lights turn on as he began to read chapter after chapter of Romans and Martin Luther led the Reformation to the churches that we would understand in the way and thinking that we actually would adhere to here in this house today. We've got other people like Karl Barth and, and even the early church father Augustine all lay down this whole idea that the book of Romans was just so fundamental, so amazing to their life and until their situation and circumstance. Paul wrote the book of Romans to this church in Rome. He wrote this letter knowing that it wouldn't just be read by some people in Rome, but to all Christians that were in Rome. And the background to the story or the background to it is pretty simple, is that the, the church was founded, nearly all churches started with a Jewish sort of heritage and the Jews had started this church and the church was going good and the church was going strong. And then the leader of the world at that point, Caesar, said about Rome, they said, we don't want any more Jews in Rome. So he threw all the Jews out and that left the church to what was known as the Gentiles or the non-Jewish people. The one thing about the Gentiles was that they were into all sorts of stuff. They were very secular. They were very similar to the people of today. And they brought a lot of their secular worldviews into the church and different things that were going on so that when, when the Jews were allowed back into Rome, which was, which was many, 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 many years later, they came back to a church that was on fire for God but just really crazy. And you can pick that up in Romans chapter 1 when Paul begins to speak out in Romans chapter 1 about what's going on in Rome. He talks about, what, talks about all the different things that, that are just happening there and we'll pick that up as we get through the story. But Paul in his letter, he tells you what the letter's all about and he hangs the whole thing together on this one verse. Grab your Bibles and let's go to Romans chapter 1 verse 16 to 17 as Pastor Steve said last week. He says, For I am not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes, to the Jew first, but also to the Greek. For in it the righteousness of God is revealed from faith to faith, as it is written, but the righteous man will live by faith. To the audience of the day, that was a very well known. They understood that. When they said the word gospel, they understood what the word gospel was all about. The word gospel meant good news. There were news coming. And the way it worked back then was that they'd have a herald and the herald would come to town. Caesar had had his army out and taken over all the land and the herald would come and they would announce prosperity and good news. We have taken over more land. We've got more promise. We've got more opportunity. This is a good day. And they would proclaim the good news. And, and Paul grabs that term 
And he says, he says with that term, we have good news. Good news is that Jesus died and rose again and doesn't leave us in our sins, that we can be made right. That's where the word righteousness comes from. We can stand right with God. We can have our sins forgiven. We can be in all these terms he uses. We can be redeemed. We can have salvation. And we can be God's people again across the planet. There's good news. You can be free even though your circumstances may not look like it. And he announces that to this church in Rome that's got all sorts of issues going on inside of it. The Jews fighting against the Gentiles, the Gentiles fighting against the Jews. And in the middle of that, later on in the chapter, in chapter about 15, he says that I want to come because I'm going to do a new missionary endeavor. And most theologians believe that he, Paul, was wanting to go to Rome and base himself from Rome and get the support of the church there to go out and reach into Spain and to the uttermost parts of the earth. And of course, we know if you read the book of Acts, he didn't quite make it there that way. He made it to Rome as a prisoner rather than as a free man. But even in the prison. That couldn't contain Paul because he was free on the inside. He discovered what it truly means to be born again and made alive through Jesus. And it's that message that he keeps on, he keeps on putting out all the way through the first eight chapters of Romans. He's painting the picture of what this good news is all about. Now remember when you read the Bible... The Bible's not just a lot of good moral stories, you know, little fables or ideas or true stories that tell you, and here is the moral of the story. The Bible is a, is a repeating theme and story of something that went wrong with the world and how God looked down in heaven and came from heaven to earth to make it right, to set it back to the way it was meant to be. The story of the Bible all the way through Exodus and Genesis, all the way through to Revelation, is all the story about God saying, well, the world has gone crazy, but Jesus came to give us a new way forward, to find a new way out. And all the way as you read the Bible, you'll find that gospel message, the good news message, that God has come to redeem his people, to bring them back, to bring them into relationship with him again. It's not about a book of how-tos and what-to and all that, although they, you will find stuff like that in there. But primarily it's the story about what has God done in, in our life and in the world today. So I want to pick up on this concept of what's wrong with the world because that's where Paul is one of his passages in chapter 3 and verse 9 through to 20 uh, talks about because we know something's gone wrong in the world. Every person on, in the human race really to some degree knows there's something wrong. There's something wrong with the world. And we, you know, if you're a Star Trek fan, you know, it's, it's, we're just not going to evolve into better people. That would be nice if it's happened. We've had 2,000, 4,000, however many. We just still, if you look at it, we all think, oh, the, tr the troubles we have today, we're much better. But read Romans 1 and the... 2,000 years ago, they were struggling with exactly the same issues that we are struggling with today. So if you think that evolution or something is going to solve all our problems, Paul is telling us, the Holy Spirit is telling us through his word, that ain't going to happen by itself. That is not going to happen without an intervention from God Almighty. And I think that's what Paul is trying to tell us and trying to tell the Roman church and trying to get their minds sorted out about what the gospel, the good news is all about. So what's wrong with the world? Let's go to Romans chapter 3 and verses 9 to 20. I got to say, before we even read this, I, when I first became a Christian, really struggled with this passage. 
And if you read Romans, you will find lots of passages you'll struggle with. I struggled with it because I was like, that's just, that can't be true. That's, what? And I, can I suggest to you, if you're not struggling with certain things in the Bible, you're probably not reading it. Because the Word of God changes your thinking. It renews your mind. So if it renews your mind, it's got to change something. And changing something sometimes is a little bit challenging. And so when God's Word is there and you're struggling with God's Word, that's really good. And listen, just a hint, it doesn't mean His Word is wrong. Normally, (laughs) guess who's in the wrong? So when you're thinking that, hey, this is wrong, what you need to do is stop, take a deep breath and go, oops, I'm obviously wrong. What are you trying to say to me, God? Let the Holy Spirit come alive to you. And this is one of those passages that really I struggled with like that for a long time. In Romans chapter 9, it says, in chapter, sorry, chapter 3, verse 9, it says, What then? Are we better than they? Not, all, not at all, for we have already charged that both Jews and Greeks, in other words, all the different types of categories you can put in place, that Jews and Greeks are all under sin. As it is written, this is the part I had real difficulty with, there is none righteous, not one. There is none who understands. There is none who seeks God. All have turned aside. Together they have become useless. There is none who does good. There is not even one. Their throat is an open grave. With their tongues, oh man, when you read this, it's just, with their tongues they keep deceiving. The poison of asps is under their lips, whose mouth is full of cursing and bitterness. Their feet are swift to shed blood. Destruction and misery are in their paths, and the path of peace they have not known. And there is no fear of God before their eyes. Now we know that whatever the law says, it speaks to those who are under the law, so that every mouth may be closed and all the world may become accountable to God. Because by the works of the law, no flesh will be justified in his sight. For through the law comes the knowledge of sin. So I titled this message, Let's Talk About Sin. What's wrong with the world? It's called sin. It's a very old-fashioned word. You know, gravity is an old-fashioned word, but it still works. Just because it's old-fashioned doesn't mean it's wrong. Just because it's old-fashioned and uncomfortable doesn't mean that we need to abandon it. We need to embrace it and understand what this thing called sin is. And I want to suggest to you that most of us, including me, we all struggle in our understanding and concept of sin because we boil sin down to behaviours. We boil sin down to, well, that's sin. And when you become a Christian, most people say to you, well, that means you're going to behave differently and think differently. And while that may be true, That is not what makes us Christian. That is not what actually the Bible is all about. The Bible is not a self-help works program to get better. It's not a 10 steps to how to break free program. It is a totally different revelation that transforms you on the inside that makes you a different person, that makes you actually live in a different way of life. That's what the gospel's all about. That's what Paul is trying to get. Now remember, think about this. The person that's writing this message was Paul, who was formerly called Saul, and Saul was one of the one of the really one of the ugliest religious people you would ever have the misfortune of coming across. He was an incredibly religious zealot. 
And if you seemingly was a bad person or you're not a Jewish person, his aim in life was to get rid of you. And he was one of the ones that actually initiated the death, the stoning, the murdering, the martyring of one of the first Christians called Stephen. He was there at the time. He was giving his assent to it. He was a very, very harsh, hard man. And for him to actually write the book of Romans where he says Jews and Gentiles, we're all on the same plane. We're all alike. For him to write that, my gosh, this man had not just taken a 10-step program to a new way of thinking. This man was totally, completely transformed, which is why he says, I am not ashamed of the gospel because this good news, if you can get your mind around it, if you can allow it to come on into your life, it will totally transform you. That's what he's trying to do. And that's what he's telling these people in Rome. He's telling them, you've got to let the gospel in and you've got to begin to live out the gospel. When, when, uh, when we talk about obedience, it's not so much obedience to what God has said in that sense. It's obedient to the gospel. It's obedient to allow Jesus to change you, to change your situation, to make you brand new and justified and right in his eyes. We're going to talk today just about three simple things about sin. Sin is universal. We're together in this. No one misses out. You're all the same. We're all under the same. It is the ultimate equalizer. Everyone's suffering. Doesn't matter whether you're rich, poor, doesn't matter what culture you're from, doesn't matter anything. You and I all have the same base problem. It's called sin. Sin is universal. Second thing we're going to be talking about is sin takes you for a ride. We're all, we don't want to go on this ride. You've ever been on a roller coaster you can't get off? Ever been on one of those rides where you just pump and you're, you're stuck, the gate goes down and boom, you're off? In life, if you've ever been on a ride in life that you wanted to get off, you say, please, can you stop the ride? I want to get off this thing called life. I just want to, I, you will discover that sin is something in you that creates you and takes you in a direction. We're going to talk about that. And then thirdly, we're going to land this thing on what the cure for sin is that we all need, the solution for the world being made right by God through the faith in the work of Jesus alone. I love, I really love this passage. So let's get into it. Sin is universal. We're all together in this. You know, when Paul's writing this, it's funny. It seems really strange the way he puts it all together. But actually what he's doing, it's actually using very legal, technical terms. He's actually quoting from other passages of Scripture. He's coming from Psalm 4, Psalm 5, Psalm 140, Psalm 10, and Psalm 36 with a bit of Isaiah 59 thrown in just for good measure. And Paul's bringing that in. Why is he bringing that in? Because he's making a point to the Jewish believers. They can hear and understand. The, the Gentile believers, you know, when you've been a, if you've not grown up in church, you find it a lot easier to become a Christian because you don't have a lot of thinking that's not this right. When you grow up outside of church and suddenly the lights come on, you just embrace it all. When you grow up maybe in a religious environment, sometimes it's harder to do the journey. It's harder to track alongside and to be able to get those moments of where all of a sudden the lights come on and you see things. And so Paul is trying to get them to understand from a legal perspective, you all stand guilty before God, which is why he's using this technical legal terms. He's actually using all sorts of legal issues going all through that little passage talking about the fact that you actually cannot just say, hey, I'm a good person because I've done good stuff. You know, I prayed this week. I read my Bible today. I'm a good, good person. 
Paul says it doesn't matter whether you're a good person or a bad person. Paul says it doesn't matter whether you're the axe murderer or the, or the nice person. And isn't that hard to get your mind around? Like, who? Why? What's going on? Remember Jesus at the cross? One on one side was hurling abuse at him, and the other on the other side said, Jesus, will you forgive me? And Jesus forgave the guy. He had no background. No, he, Jesus just forgave him. I don't know what he'd done to get on that cross, but Jesus just forgave him and transformed his life. We all need transformation. And you know what? Sometimes we as humans, what Paul is trying to get across here is that when you follow Jesus, God creates a much better human in you. You discover what true humanity is really all about. You discover a better way of being human. You discover a better way of how to live life. And not only that, you are transformed into that situation and circumstance. When he finishes up in verse 30, uh, 20, when he says this statement, so that every mouth may be closed. People understood that. See, you know, in, in that day, one of the entertainment times, because you didn't have Netflix or whatever else, what happened was someone would get charged with something and so everyone came out to watch the legal thing going on. And it was a bit of entertainment for the city. And this term that's being used here that Paul uses was one that resonated. They understood exactly what he was talking about. When it says, so that every mouth may be closed. Do you know what that was? Now, we wouldn't do it today, so you just excuse me for saying it like this. But what happened was when you started to ramble on with a poor excuse that you really didn't have a real reason for doing what you do, what they would do is they'd strike you in the mouth and tell you to shut up. And that happened to Jesus in a wrong way, in an unjust way, when you look at his, uh, his trial before, uh, in the, when you're looking in the Gospels. But that was a normal practice of a legal system. And what Paul is trying to get across here is you don't have a defense. And we'll come on to that in a little while. He's saying he's trying to paint the picture. Truly, when you really look at it, all of us have this thing inside of us that is taking us to a totally different situation and a totally different direction. Now remember, in Romans chapter 1, you'll see the stuff that he's got there. I've got it here. I wrote it down in Romans chapter 1, 26 to 32. It says that, and God gave them over to a depraved mind to do the things which are not proper, to be filled with all unrighteousness, wickedness, greed, evil, full of envy, murder, strife, deceit, malice, malice, gossip, slanderers, haters of God, insolent, arrogant, boastful, inventors of evil, disobedient to parents, without understanding, untrustworthy, unloving, unmerciful. And although they know the ordinance of God, that they who practice such things are worthy of death, they not only do the same, but hereby give approval to those who practice them. You know what he's trying to say here? He's trying to, to say that you and everybody else are on the same page. And he's specifically doing it to the Jewish people because the Jewish people were real religious and really felt like at the time, and I think sometimes as Christian we get like this, that we feel like we're better. But we're actually not better. The gospel comes and says, you know, there by the grace of God go all of us. The gospel comes and says you can have freedom and forgiveness for all your mistakes. And so therefore, how can you point the finger at everybody else's mistakes? And why would you point out everyone else's issues when you've got enough of the issues of your own? So why don't you choose to allow Jesus to change your heart and then to reach out to love them into a relationship with God where they will find freedom, hope, and mercy as well? 
But it's easier said than done, isn't it? You know, you, you, you meet people that just rub you the wrong way. And, you know, you, you read, meet, stuff goes on and you just, you know. Everyone but that one, God. But the Bible says that actually you and I don't have that choice. And that is not who you are. And we'll talk about that as we go along. When you become a Christian, actually, that's not who you are. You're operating out of your old nature that Paul talks about in Romans chapter 7. You're operating out of the one that wants revenge and everything else. When Jesus wants us to surrender to him and allow new life to flow out. And I don't have time to go into that. We'll go into that in, in future weeks. I just want to get it understood that sin is universal. We've all got the same problem. Stop pointing at everybody else around and pointing out their problems. You've got enough of your own, so why don't we just move on and decide we're all in this together. Second thing about sin is it takes you for a ride. You know when it says here, no one seeks God, that's where I really had issues. I'm like, I'm a good person. I, I became a Christian. I'm seeking God. He's not talking necessarily about, look, there is goodness and good happens in the world. He's not talking about that. Compared to God, it doesn't seem like it's good because God is so good that our goodness actually is just taken almost out. It's so minuscule compared to God's goodness. But I'm not discounting and I'm not suggesting that we should not do good. I'm just suggesting that that's actually not the point of this passage. He's not saying that we shouldn't do good things. He's just trying to talk about some of the realities of what sin is doing. What you'll find is that sin, when you read that passage, it, it, it's a directional thing. No one seeks God. We have all turned away. And the thing in us, this thing called sin, you know what it does? It drives us away from God. If God is over there, sin just by nature drives us away from God. Well, you can see that easy when you just live in your own life like the prodigal child. You just run away from God and everything about God and you just reject it. It's pretty obvious. But when you're religious, it isn't so obvious. It doesn't show up like that. N.T. Wright puts it this way. He says that Paul appears to be saying sin is not only an act of wrongdoing, it's a power that has life of its own. It's this thing inside of us that drives us. And you know, as religious people, you know how you can see that? It's pretty simple. If you're not a Christian here, can I just suggest to you, this thing called the gospel, the good news being a Christian, is actually very different to what you're probably thinking. Because you're probably thinking, okay, what's the deal? What are we going to do? You know, what's my 10 steps? You know, what have I got to do? What have I got to stop doing? What have I got to do? And we, but you know what? Whether you're a non-Christian or a Christian, we all like to make bargains with God. Isn't that true? God, God, if you will, look, I will just do this and therefore, God, you will do that. Isn't that how we operate? I just, I prayed, God. I prayed. Isn't that what our children do to us? Do we, do we ever listen to ourselves sometimes? When sin causes us to want to bargain with God, sin causes us to want to just go, hey God, I got a deal for you today. I'll be really good. I'll be really great. I'll make sure that I do the right thing today. I'll make sure that I pray hard. I'll turn up to church. Isn't that good? I'm being a good Christian. So what? You can't bargain with God. And when you try and bargain with God, you know what you're doing? You're putting the power back in your hands. God, you have to do this because I've done that. I've done the right thing, God. You know how you know how good you're going as a Christian dealing with your own forgiveness and unforgiveness is when bad stuff happens. You know, God has no problem with you getting angry with him. Just read the Psalms. 
The arms are full of people that are angry and screaming out and carrying. It's okay. But when you live there, that's not okay. When you don't remind yourself, sometimes you've got to get some stuff out. But you've got to remind yourself of something different. It's what Martin Luther, the great reformer, what he struggled with before he did his 95 theses or whatever it was on the door of Wittenberg. It, it was what so many people and so many Christians struggle with. When someone was praying for the feeling of shame. It's that thing that actually is a false response to our true reality of Jesus' death and resurrection and now how it applies into our life. That's a true, the gospel is about the fact that you can be free, that you can be forgiven, that you don't have to bring up the past because the only one that does that is the devil and when we start doing that, we get into agreement with the devil and once you get into agreement with the devil, well, that never ends real well. And as Christians, you got to stop it. We've got to make some choices about life. In fact, I want to move on to just the solution of sin. See, sin's universal. We all struggle. Sin drives us away from God. So when we live out of our sin nature instead of our new nature, we actually make bargains. We actually start to make excuses. We actually start doing stuff. And, and, and all of that drives us away from God. So what's the solution? Well, it's here. It's that verse I just read out. He says, he says, you're going to get smacked in the mouth. What is he saying? Shut up. Stop it. Stop the bargaining. When you ask Jesus to forgive you of your sins, he forgives sins past, present, and future. It doesn't mean that we don't say sorry. It doesn't mean you don't become aware of them. But what it does mean is you no longer live in that. I've known Pastor Steve for a long time. He grew up in Australia. And when I first met him, we were in our late teens. And you know, there's one thing about Pastor Steve. From the day you met him, the first thing he said to you, I'm American. <laughs> Drove you nuts. I'm like, yeah, mate, we're in Australia. Shut up. Steve never woke up in the morning going, I'm in a foreign land need to behave more American. Steve needed no convincing he was American. He just got up in the morning and became American, stayed American. He just, he just lived out of who he was. Now, he hadn't been in America for years. He left America when he was eight. He was born in, in New York City, and he would tell you that as if it meant something to us living in Australia. Like I was born in New York. More power to you. Is that a, is that a state in Australia somewhere? Is that a... Do you know what I'm saying? The answer is simple. Stop this whole deal of trying to do deals with God and accept the gospel, which is that Jesus died on a cross for you and for me to set us free of our sins, to make us brand new on the inside. Now listen, you've got to catch this. In the same way that sin drives you away from God, do you know what your new nature does now? It now drives you into God. And the more you begin to listen to your new nature and act about who you truly are, you know, the world's looking for their authentic self. Well, how about we be our authentic Christian self? 
Because most of us as Christians from time to time start putting on the act or putting on the show. And that's, listen, sometimes that's not a bad thing. But if that's your whole basis for your Christian walk, it's a terrible thing. When Jesus healed the paralyzed man, he said to him, get up, pick up your mat and go home. I always got confused by that. The good news is get up. Stop acting and complaining and woe is me and woe is me. Get up. Then he said, pick up your mat. What was the mat? It was the stinking smelly thing that he carried around with him. He said, get that mess out of here because it doesn't belong to you anymore. Get rid of it. Do what you need to do to get rid of it. But getting rid of it doesn't make you any different other than you're now actually behaving the way that you really are. You're now getting in, in consistent, now you're getting consistent with the very nature within you. If you're not a Christian today, there's no 10 steps to becoming a Christian. What you've got to do better, what you've got to do good, you know, you've got to pray and whatever, do the rose, whatever. Bow the knee, stand up, whatever you want to do. It's a simple thing. By obedience to the gospel. You know what that obedience is? Father, I'm sorry. I accept that Jesus died. How? How much easier can it get? Now I'm telling you, once you make that decision, life will take a whole different direction. And you'll be caught up in a whole new way of living. And you'll be swept along a path where stuff's going to happen and different things. But you're no longer the same. And there's a new life within you. That's what Paul's trying to get across that drives you towards God instead of driving you away from God. And which is the one you're going to listen to is the one you spend more time with. So you're head in the right direction and you become more and more like Jesus because you're beginning to hang around him and his people more. You find forgiveness and freedom and hope. It's the only religion on the planet that does that the only religion on the planet that talks about God himself who would come in the form of a human to die and take our place and to pay our price. Do you know what that tells me? It tells me back to point one, you're worse than what you think you are. Because God himself is the only one that could pay the price so that you and I could be set free. And that's what Paul's unpacking all the way through Romans chapter 1, 2, 3, 4, 5, 6, 7, 8. And when you're reading Romans chapter 1 and you're feeling guilt or you're feeling shame, you know what the solution is? If we forget, forgive us, if we confess our sins, he is faithful to forgive and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. So what do I do? Oh, Father, I've made a mistake. Forgive me. Forgive me, Lord. If you start going, well, God, I'll do better next time, you know I'm. You know, I've got this little problem. I'm going to do better next time. I promise I'll do better next time. Shut up. That's an excuse. You're trying to control God. Shut up. Stop trying to do bargains with God. God, I prayed 15 times. Surely you're going to answer my prayers. Shut up. It's God. Your will be done. I'm going to believe, I'm going to pray, I'm going to stand, I'm going to pray and believe that God's purpose will be done on this planet and everywhere I put my feet, I'm going to believe for his power and mercy to be around my life. But you know what? I'm going to let God be God. I'll struggle with it. I'll have issues with it because I'm human. 
and there's a sin nature within me that I need to put to death, as Paul says. In other words, I've got to stop being in agreement with it. If you're feeling shame, stop it. Shut up. You've got to get serious with yourself. Otherwise, the devil will take control. I want to be in agreement with God. Bring every thought into captivity and believe what Paul says. For I am not ashamed of the power of the gospel. Why is he not ashamed? Because it makes me brand new on the inside. It transforms me. It is the power of God to salvation. Hear it? It's the power. It's not my strength. It's not my 10 steps. It's not my praying. It's not my reading the Bible. It's not. It is the power. I just have to believe and get on with it. Whether you're here or over at our Seaboard campus, high Seaboard, or online, if you're a Christian here and you're struggling, keep on saying to God, oh God, I'm a failure. Shut up. In the nicest possible way. mistake you're faithful and just when your mind says but what about this is the 15th time this week you say all right okay maybe i need to seek some help for that but that doesn't make me any more unrighteous or any more righteous i need to seek some help because i want to live in a way that's consistent with who i truly am so i need some help i need some people so i'm going to gather some people around me but i'm not going to live under shame and guilt and oh and condemnation about what happens. Christian, get up. Christian, stand up. Christian, live the way God's called you to live. Christian, dare to believe that God is for you and not against you. Dare to believe that greater is He that's in you than anything else in the world. When you look at everything crashing around you, you don't sit there wailing in misery and misbelief. You say, God, I don't know what's going on, but I know you know, I know you're with me and there's a greater strength in me. And so I'm gonna get up. I'm going to pick up my mat and I'm going to come home to you, Jesus, and I'm going to stand with you. That's what Paul's trying to say. That's the whole book of Romans. That's where he's going. That's what he's trying to do. And if we just believe in church, could you imagine what would happen? Father, for the people here this morning that struggle so hard with just this really simple concept that isn't so simple in one sense because it seems too simple. People that are struggling with guilt and and all the wrestling with all the, the shame and the pain of the past. Same in the, the shame and the pain of the present. Lord, I pray that you will flood into their reality, that they would seek help, not, not for any other purpose than actually to help them to live in a manner that is consistent with who you have made them to be now as new creations in Jesus. Lord, I pray shame off people this morning guilt off people this morning I find the power of the enemy that would love the devil that would love the world system would love to hold them down and I speak freedom and I speak life and I speak power into their situation and circumstance let chains be broken there are people here that have struggled even with sleep and I speak 
life into your situation so that sleep would come, so that the chains of the thinking would be broken in the name of Jesus. There are people here that have struggled with, with stuff that causes them to fall over, over and over again. Father, in the name of Jesus, give them strength to stand up and to be who they are, to find people that will help them to live in accordance to who you now have made them to be. Lord, in the name of Jesus. For others here struggling and looking at their family and friends that don't seem to know you yet. Father, I speak life into their situation and hope again. May they see hope again because you're the God of the impossible. You're the God that does exceedingly abundantly beyond all we could ever ask, hope or think, according to your mighty power at work in us. Freedom. Let freedom come into this room. Let freedom come into the house of people watching online. Let freedom come into the hearts and lives of people in our seaboard location. Let freedom burst. Let a new sense of rising up on the inside. I am born again. I am a new creation. I am a child of God. I am loved by Him. So the revelation would come shame and everything else would fall off and there'd be a new sense of loving one another, standing with one another than ever before in Jesus' name.